Sophos Security SOS. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sophos Security SOS Week. Today's topic is preventing cyber threats. Stop them before they stop you. And our guest today is none other than Mr. Fraser Howard, Director of Research at Sophos Labs. Now, those of you who have listened to SOS Week before will know that I like to describe Fraser as a specialist in everything because his knowledge is not just broad, it is also incredibly deep. He ticks every cell in the spreadsheet, you could say. <laughs> so, Fraser, welcome back to the SOS Week. I wanted to start by focusing on something that goes by the name of LOLBIN, which I believe is short for Living Off the Land Binary, which is jargon for software that's there already that the crooks love to use. Exactly that, yeah. And the big problem at the moment seems to be that the most likely lolbin or the most likely pre-installed program that the crooks will dine out on, for want of a better phrase, is nothing other than PowerShell, which is built into Windows. It's available on every version of Windows as soon as you install it. And it's the medium of management these days for Windows itself. So how do you live without it? Exactly. So just like you described, from the attacker's perspective, lolbins are brilliant. They either bring their own knife to the fight, and their knife might look very different to everything else that's on the system, or they use a knife that just happens to be present on the system in the first place. And that is advantageous to the attacker for obvious reasons. Any security software won't see some brand new, shiny, unknown application suddenly being run and used in part of the attack. And so tools like PowerShell are already there. That's when the game is beginning in terms of trying to work out, is it something good or is it something bad? I wish there was a one-line answer to how we detect malicious PowerShell versus benign, but actually it's quite a complex situation. What exactly is the PowerShell process doing itself? On one end of the spectrum, you could use technology like, for example, application control. And as an admin, you could choose, right, PowerShell, you should not be allowed to run in my environment. And that's kind of a, a panacea, if you like, and it would stop PowerShell being abused but it would also break lots of legitimate activity, including kind of core management of most Windows machines today. Okay, so application control is Sophos's name for the ability to detect and optionally to block yes. software that is not malware, but that a well-informed administrator might not want to support in their environment. Exactly. And it's not just about admins and their choice of which application should my users be allowed to use. It's about basics. If you think about security, what's one of the things that we've been telling people for the last five, 10 years? Patch. If you're an administrator and you're allowing anybody to use whatever application they want for their browser, that's maybe five, 10 different browsers that you have to patch. Actually, for admins, technologies like application control let them narrow that threat surface. But can... PowerShell, some people say, oh, just block PowerShell.exe, block all.ps1 files, job's done. It's not quite as simple as that. It, Could it, a sysadmin yeah. manage without PowerShell in a modern Windows network? Uh, no, quite simply, <laughs> no. I mean, there are, there are policy options that they could choose to only allow certain signed scripts, for example, to be run. But there's a whole variety of tips and techniques that the, the attackers know that try to bypass some of those mechanisms as well. Some of the older scripting engines, probably the best example is Windows Scripting Host. Most people don't know it's there. It's not the one-stop shop for admin that PowerShell is, but Wscript and Cscript. These binaries, again, are on every single Windows box. They are a lot more feasible to outright block and they get abused again by malware. 
So the Windows scripting host includes things like JavaScript not running in your browser, running yeah, outside your browser, yeah, exactly. and good old Visual Basic script. And there's a whole host of them. There's now, Vi Visual Basic script is discontinued by Microsoft, isn't it? But it's still supported and still very, very widely used. It's very, very used. popular with the bad guys, yeah. And it's not just scripting engine. I can't remember exactly how many binaries are on some of the kind of the main lolbin lists that are out there. With the right combination of switches, all of a sudden a binary that you might use to manage, for example, certificates locally, actually can be used to download any content from a remote server and save it to disk locally. Is that certutil.exe? It is certutil, for example. Because that can also be used to do things like calculate file hashes. Yep. And it could, could be used to download, for example, Base64 encoded executable content, save it locally and decode it. And then that content could be run as a way of potentially getting through your web gateways, for example. And that gets even worse with PowerShell, doesn't it? Because you can take a Base64 encoded string yes. and feed that into PowerShell as the input script, yes. and it will quietly decode it for you. And you can even put in a command line option, can you not, to say, hey, if the user said, don't allow scripts to execute from the command line, ignore it. Yes. I wish to override that. Yeah. And you've mentioned PS1 files. So that's the physical script file that might exist on disk. Yeah. Actually, PowerShell is pretty adept at doing things filelessly. So just the command line itself can contain the entirety of the PowerShell command. Now, my understanding is most so-called fileless malware does involve files, probably quite a lot of files in its operation, but there will be a key point at which something you might detect yes. only exists in memory, so security software that is only able to monitor disk will miss out. So how do you deal with that kind of situation where the crooks have got all this semi-suspicious stuff and then they've disguised the really dangerous bit with this fileless memory-only trick? How so do you deal with that? One of the ways we deal with that, particularly in regards to PowerShell, is Microsoft provide an interface which gives us visibility into the behavior of PowerShell. So the AMSI, or AMSI, is an interface which vendors, security vendors can use to get a peep into Anti exactly what... Anti-malware scanning interface. interface. It's like, it gives us a window into kind of the, the, the behavior of PowerShell at any point in time. So as it might be doing things filelessly, and so any kind of traditional interception points which are looking for files on disk, they won't be coming into play. Actually, the behavior of PowerShell itself will generate activity, if you like, within that particular interface, which gives us the ability to recognize and block certain types of malicious PowerShell activity. The other thing is, fileless is, again, seen as a bit of a panacea for the, for the bad guys. But actually, one of the things that most attackers are after at some point is what we call persistence. Okay, they've got some code running on a machine. What happens if that machine is restarted? And so their fileless malware typically will, achieve, will, will seek to have, add some level of persistence. So most of the fileless attacks that we've seen actually there's interaction typically with the Windows registry. And it uses the registry as a way of achieving persistence. So typically put some sort of blob of data in the registry and modify some registry keys such that, when, yeah, exactly, <laughs> such that when that machine is restarted, that blob is decoded and malicious behavior carries on again. Today's products are all about a whole range of technologies from simple right through to quite extraordinarily quite complex in order to kind of recognize. So that, that also helps to explain why people take files. They're kind of the precursors of malware, but not overtly malicious themselves. Yeah. Upload them to an online service like, say, VirusTotal and yeah. go, hey, nobody detects this. All security products are useless. It doesn't mean that that file can spring into life and start doing bad stuff yeah. without getting stopped. That's a very good point. And so I think it's something that the security industry has tried, but the, we, the fact that we still talk about it, we've probably failed to get that point across. What is protection? What do we actually mean? What, what does protecting someone against a threat typically mean? Most people tend to think of it, okay, they have a threat, they want a file. 
that's the threat. And they want to see, is that file detected? That particular attack, let's suppose it's a bot. There might be 10,000 of those files every single day as the bad guys kind of turn the handle and churn out lots of different replicants that essentially are all the same basic thing. And so the fact that one or 10 or 100 of those files are detected, actually doesn't really tell you very much about how well a product might protect against that threat. Bot, are familiar with. software robot. Essentially. That's something that sits on your computer regularly calling home or polling exactly. some random server. It may change from day to day or change hour to hour. Frequently. Download a list of instructions. So that could be a, here's a list of email addresses to spam next. It could here's be. a list of file extensions I want you to scramble. Turn on the key logger. Exactly. Take a screenshot right now. They're it, in the it, banking app. And it's essentially the bad, the bad an active backdoor. It is a backdoor, yeah. And we spoke about backdoor 20 years ago. I remember doing yeah. customer presentations 20 years ago to talk about backdoors. Back office, if you well, remember. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and the back then we, we were trying to convince customers that actually a lot of the backdoors out there were more important than the high-profile malware of that day. Actually, what you don't want to get infected with are the backdoors, which allow some, some miscreant somewhere the ability to control your machine and do bad stuff, have a look through your file system, modify data on your system. That's a far more frightening threat than, for example, a self-replicating worm that just spreads from computer to computer. That might get the press, and it might cause problems in, the, in and of itself, but actually somebody having access to your system is arguably a much bigger threat. Indeed. And thinking back to back orifice in, what yep. was it, 1999, 2000, that famously, it listened on port 13337, didn't it? Good memory, yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> the idea was that as soon as people started getting onto DSL connections at home and having a home router, it was useless because inbound connections yeah. didn't work. And so people thought, oh, well, backdoors, they rely on inbound network connections. Yeah. I'm protected by my ISP by default. I don't have to worry about it. But today's zombies, today's bots. It's all over HTTPS. They call home yeah. using some kind of encrypted or secretive channel. Yeah. And they download the instructions. And because it's on HTTPS, yes, they basically right. hide that um, network activity amongst the million and one other web packets that go out every minute of most home connections. So that's another reason why this defense in depth or layered protection. Yeah. Obviously, new files you, you want to examine. You don't want to miss malware that you could have detected. But that file could be innocent at the moment, and it could turn out to be rogue after yes. it's loaded, after yeah. it's manipulated itself in memory, after it's called out and downloaded stuff. And so to get back to the original point, so how we measure security products yep. today is more complex than it ever has been before. Because some it, people still have the idea that, well, if you really want to test a product, you just get a giant bucket full of malware, all in files and zip files. Zoo. You put that on a server in isolation somewhere and you scan, scan it with it. a static scanner yep. and you find out how many it detects and that tells you how the product behaves, yep. the virus total approach. That A will tend to underestimate good products and it be, might overestimate exactly. bad products. Or products that aim to specialise in detecting purely files for the purpose of primarily looking good in those sort of zoo-based tests. That doesn't translate to a product that in a real world will translate to actually providing good levels of protection. And in reality, we block files, of course you do. The files is still a very important currency, if you like, in terms of protection. But there's, there's lots of other things. For example, like the AMSI interface that lets us block malicious PowerShell activity. Behaviour itself. And so within our product, the behavioural engine looks at the behaviour of processes, network traffic, registry activity, and that kind of combined picture lets us spot potentially malicious behaviour for the purpose of blocking not necessarily a specific family or even a particular, particular kind, of kind of threat, but just malicious activity. If there's certain types of behaviour that we can de determine are just outright malicious, we, can, we, we will often try and block that. We can block a certain type of malicious behaviour today 
And then a threat family that's not even yet written in three months' time might use that same behavior and will proactively detect it. So that's the holy grail of what we do, proactive protection. The ability yep. for us to write something today that in the future will successfully block malicious behavior. I suppose a good example of that, to, to go back to what we mentioned before, is that certutil.exe, what certificate validation utility. Yep. You might be using that in your own scripts, in your own sysadministration tools, but there are some behaviors that you would not expect. Exactly. Although that, file, that program can be made to do those things, they would stand out. They would so stand out. So you can't out say just, the program's exactly. bad, yep. but at some point in its behavior, you'll go, ah, now it's gone too far. And that touches on another interesting aspect of today's landscape. So historically, evil.exe runs. We might detect the file. We might detect some malicious behavior. We clean it from your system. You spoke a lot about lol bins. So obviously, we don't, you know, when we detect PowerShell doing something malicious, we don't remove PowerShell from that system. Oh, well, I found Windows <laughs> doing something exactly. bad. Um, Wipe the disk. We, we basically block that process. We stop that process doing what it was about to do and terminate it. But PowerShell still exists on the physical system. Yeah. But actually, today's attackers are very different from yesterday's attackers as well. Today's attackers are all about, they have a goal. They have a purpose. The old, old model was more spray and pray, if you like. If somebody blocks the, the attack, okay, bad luck, they give up. There's no, there's no human presence there. If the attack works, data is stolen, a machine becomes compromised, whatever it happened to be. But if the attack was blocked, nothing else happens on the system. Today's attacks, actually, there's a much more of a human element. So typically, when a lot of attacks we see today, and this is typified by lots of the ransomware attacks, where the crooks are specifically trying to target certain organizations with their ransomware creations. When something is blocked, they try again. And they keep on retrying. And so as we're blocking stuff, I'm blocking different types of malicious behavior. Right. There's something behind yeah. the scenes, someone behind the scenes, some threat group behind the scenes retrying. So 10 years ago or 15 years ago where you got, oh, we found this brand new, previously unknown word malware. Yes. We've deleted the file and cleaned it up and we write it in the log and everyone goes into the meeting and ticks it off and yep, exactly. claps each other on the back. Great job done. Ready for next month. Today is now, very different. Now, that wasn't the attack. No. That was just a... Hey, I, I wonder what brand of smoke detectors they use yeah. kind of test. Exactly. And they're not planning on using that malware. They're just trying to guess you know, what, exactly. what protection have you got, what's turned on, which directories are included, which directories are excluded from your scanning, what ambient settings have you got. And a, a lot of what we talk about today is about active adversaries. Active adversaries, they get lots of press. And there's a concept of the whole MITRE attack framework. So the MITRE attack framework is essentially a, a, a Bible, a dictionary, if you like, of combination of tactics, the verticals, techniques, the horizontals. I think there's 14 tactics, and I don't know how many techniques, hundreds. It can be a bit um, dizzying. It's essentially a, a dictionary of the different types of things, different types of technique that could be used on a system for good or bad, essentially. But it's essentially aligned to attack, attackers and active adversaries. If you like, it's a taxonomy of what an active adversary might do when on a system. Right, because in the old days, you and I will remember this because we both spent our time writing comprehensive malware descriptions, yes. the kind of things that were necessary 15, 20 years ago. Just... You were talking about evil.exe. Yeah. Because most threats back then were viruses, in other words, they spread themselves and they were self-contained. Could... Once we had it... You could document A to Z exactly what it did on the system. So a lot of malware back in that day, if you look at how they hid themselves and how they went into memory yeah. and polymorphism, all that stuff, a lot of them were a lot more complicated to analyze than yep. stuff today. But once you knew how it worked, you knew, you knew what every future generation yep. would possibly yep. look like. You could write a complete description. Yes. Now you just can't do that. Well, this malware downloads some other malware. What malware? I don't know. For example, just a simple loader. 
it runs, it periodically connects out. The attacker has the ability to fire in some sort of encoded blob. For example, let's suppose it's a DLL, a dynamic link library, a module, some essentially executable code. So what does that threat do? Well, it depends exactly entirely on what the attacker sends down the wire. And that could change well, by, by day by day. It could change yeah. by source IP. Yeah. Are you in Germany? Are you in Sweden? Are oh, you yeah, in Britain? We, we see that Depending quite often. on what we're yeah. doing. It could also say, hey, you already connected. Yep. So we'll feed you Notepad yep. or some innocent file the next yep. time. The, the attackers typically will have techniques they use to try and spot when it's us trying to run their creation. So they don't feed us what might be the ultimate payload. They don't want us to see the payload. They only want victims to see that payload. Sometimes things just exit quietly. Sometimes they just run calc or Notepad or something obviously silly. Sometimes we might get a rude message pop up. But typically, they'll try and keep the ultimate payload, reserve that for the... For and that the, also the, means that if they have, I'm, I, I use, glibly used the word polymorphism earlier. That was, a, that was very common in viruses back in the day, yep. where every time a new the virus copied itself to a new file, it would basically permute its code, often from a very complicated way, even rewriting its own algorithm. The but virus you itself. get yeah. the engine that yes. did the scrambling. Yeah. Now, the crooks keep that, that to themselves. That's on a server somewhere else. They're turning exactly. the handle in the background. Yep. And also, when you mentioned loaders, people may have heard of things like Boa Loader, Bazaar Loader, exactly. sort of well-known brand names. In some cases, there are gangs of crooks. That's all they do. They don't write the malware that comes next. They just no. say, what would you like us to load? Give us the URL and we'll inject it for you. How, how did the original bot authors from kind of I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, how did they make money? They essentially compromised networks of machines. That's essentially what botnet is. Lots of machines under their command. And then they could basically rent out that network. Could be for distributed denial of service. So get the, all of these infected machines to hit one web server, for example, and take out that web server. It could be quite commonly for spam, as you've already mentioned. And so the natural evolution of that, in some senses, is, is today's loader. If somebody has a loader, a system infected with a loader, and that loader's calling home, and you're, you, you essentially have a bot you essentially have the ability to run stuff on that machine. And so, just like you say, those cyber criminals don't need to be concerned with what's the ultimate payload. Is it ransomware? Is it data theft? They have a vehicle. Uh, ransomware is almost the final payout. You know, we've done everything we wanted to do, or we failed at everything else we, we were hoping to do. Let's just try ransomware. Because as soon as the ransomware we've logged the all box, the keys, We've logged <laughs> all the passwords <laughs> yeah, now. There's nowhere no else to go. So we've final, stolen all the data. Yeah, exactly. The final, the final kind of cash out is ransomware. At that point, the user's aware, the administrator's aware, there's data loss. Today's loader is almost an extension of or an evolution of, if you like, yesterday's bot. Fraser, I'm conscious of time. So given that you've painted a picture that clearly requires full-time work, full-time understanding, you're, a, you're an expert researcher, you've been doing this for years, not everybody can give up their day job in IT or sysadmin to have another day job to yep. be you in the organisation. If you had to give three simple tips for what you should do or what you should not do today to deal with what is a, a more complicated, more fragmented way of attacking from the crooks that gives us many more planes on which we need to defend. What would those three things be? Well, it's always a tough question. I think, I think the first one has to be having awareness and visibility into your organisation. This sounds simple, but for example, we quite often see attacks where the starting point of an attack was an unprotected box. So you have an organization, they have a wonderful IT policy, they have products deployed across that network, properly configured. They might have a team of people that are watching for all the little sensors and all the data coming back from these products, but they have a domain controller that was unprotected and the bad guys managed to get onto that. And then we have, you know, within the whole Mitre attack framework, there's one you know, lateral movement. Once, once the attack is on a box, they will continue to try to laterally move from that box across the organization. 
and that initial kind of foothold gives them a, a point from which they can do that. So visibility is the first point. It's so really, it's not really just important what you thing. know, you also have to know what, what you don't what, know. What you don't know, yeah. So having visibility into what devices are in your network. Number two, configuration. This is a bit of a thorny one. So no one likes to talk about policies and configuration. It's, mm. well, it's frankly quite dull. It's kind of important, though. It's oh, absolutely crucial. Like if, important. You, if you can't measure it, you and can't so my, management, manage my, it, as the yeah, old saying goes. I think my one, my one recommendation for that would be, if at all possible, use the recommended defaults. So as soon as you deviate away from recommended defaults, you're typically either turning stuff off, bad, or you're excluding certain things. Yes. For example, excluding a particular folder. Now, that might be perfectly acceptable. You might have some custom application on it, some custom database application where you say, I don't want to scan files within this particular folder. It's not quite so good if you're excluding, for example, the Windows folder. So we've spoken a lot about logins. colon backslash startup well, exactly, start yeah. and all subdirectories. So that's where you end up, isn't it? It is. You yeah. add one, you add another, and then you don't go yeah. and review that. You end up that you basically you have all the doors and all the windows propped open. It's a bit like a firewall. You block everything, you poke a few holes, fine. You keep on poking holes for the next three years, and <laughs> before you know where you are, you have Swiss cheese as your firewall. Like it's, it's, it's not going to work. So configuration is really important, and if at all possible, stick to the defaults. Yeah. Stick to the defaults, because those recommended defaults, they're recommended for a reason. So within our own products, for example, when you deviate from those, quite often you'll get a red bar warning you that you're basically disabling protection. If you're going to go off-piste, make sure you really make meant sure you to. Make sure you have good visibility. And, and I guess a third point, then, is acknowledge the skill set required. Don't be afraid in, to call for help. Don't be afraid to call for help. And security is complex. We like to think of it as, as simple. What three things can we do? What simple things can we do? Actually, the reality is today's security is, is very complicated. So our products might try to package that up in a fairly simple way and provide good levels of protection, good levels of visibility into different types of behavior happening in a network. But if you don't have the skill set or the resource, for that matter, to process the, the events that are coming in and hitting your dashboard, find someone that does. For example, using a managed service can make a massive difference to your security. And it can just remove that headache because someone else and is not watching. an admission of defeat, is it? No, it's not, not saying, always. oh, I can't yeah. do it myself. And we're talking 24-7, 365. So for someone to do that in-house is a massive undertaking. And we're also talking about complex data. And we spoke about active adversaries and that type of attack. We know the bad guys. Even when we block stuff, they will continue to retry. They'll, they'll change things up. A good team that are looking at that data will recognize that type of behavior. And not only will they know that tick, something's been blocked. Now those people will think, okay, there's somebody repeatedly trying to get into that door. That's quite a useful indicator to them and they'll take action and they'll resolve the, the, the attack. Three pretty good pieces of advice there. Excellent, Fraser. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your experience and your expertise with us. To everybody who's listening, thank you so much. And it remains now only for me to say, until next time, stay secure.